Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. so excited to have Caitlin Bailey return to the show. You can check out her first episode, The Oldest Profession with Caitlin Bailey on episode 79, which I published back in January. Caitlin's back for a second time because today is International Sex Work Day, also known as International Horror Day. I decided to sneak a second interview with Caitlin in, in between my Pandemic Porn Stars episodes that I'm having with your chaotic girlfriend, she's on last week, and then I have Johnny Aranya on next week. Caitlin provided me with a bit of a legislative update, sort of letting me know what's going on around the country, and she discussed how her organization is helping promote sex work and the decriminalization of sex work across the country through some art projects. Ultimately, this podcast episode is really just a good time between two people who like talking about sex and are confident, you know, in in our support for sex workers. Hell, I mean, we've both done some sex work ourselves. As always, if you enjoy this show, please like, follow, subscribe, share all of the things. You can find me online by either emailing me, Kristen, at OpenTheDoorsCoaching.com, especially if you have a question, want more information, or have a show suggestion, or would like to be a guest, or have a guest you think I should go, you know, approach about interviewing. You know I love nuanced perspective, so help me find some, some fun folks if you know somebody out there that would like to talk and tell their story. You can also find me on TikTok at Coach Kristen. I'm about to approach a million likes on my videos on there. I'm pretty excited because that platform has just really taken off for me since the beginning of 2021. You can also find me on Clubhouse, Twitter, and Instagram at OpenTheDoorsKC. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Pride Month, so of course I'm going to have some fun content online this month with all of that. Happy Pride Month to all of my LGBTQIA brothers and sisters and non-binary fam. Love you all. I know we're not going to really be out and having our our parties and our parades and things like that. I think most of that stuff's gotten pushed off to the fall, but I look forward to being able to get together and party with y'all again soon. As always, stay happy, stay safe, go exercise, meditate, and masturbate. Caitlin Bailey, welcome back to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. So I've had a few interviews lately with some people who have been doing sex work since the start of the pandemic. And I saw on my calendar that June 2nd, 
is Sex Worker Day, also known as International Horror Day. In Absolutely, circles. yeah. It's uh, yes, June second is the um, it's it's an international holiday that has been celebrated by sex workers since its inception in 1975. So uh, back then, June second, 1975, over 200 people, overwhelmingly women, many active sex workers, occupied the Church of Saint Nazir in Lyon, France, with the full cooperation of the priest of that church, basically to protest police brutality against the oldest profession. And they hung a banner from their church that I really think sums it up. And it read in French, our children do not want their mothers in jail. And, you know, I really think that that just gets to the heart of it. Now, it's been called International Horrors Day. You know, we, I, I, as a historian of old prose, um, I find myself often uh, sort of biting my tongue at the way that we we named things. You know, it was the hookers' rights movement for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some advocacy organizations that cannot be spoken because they're part of their acronyms are now slurs. But, you know, it's a, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun part of the history of the sex worker rights movement is that many of our names come with little asterisks. But the, you know, the... It's International Whores Day. We celebrate the oldest profession. We celebrate the um, the coming together of women and sex workers because the the women of France recognized that laws targeting um, you know sex workers also targeted them. Simone de Beauvoir joined um, hundreds and then thousands of people who occupied churches all over France. And then, of course, you know, just like with Occupy Wall Street and every other good thing that's happened, after eight days, the police were called in. I mean, they were like, all right, enough of this nonsense, but they did make international uh, headlines and they inspired a movement that continues today. Lovely. Yeah, it's a great story. story. (laughs) Absolutely. So for those who may not have heard your previous episode, can you tell the audience more about yourself and about your project with the oldest profession? Sure. Uh, yeah, it is my it is my favorite topic. Um, mm-hmm. So I I am I am an out sex worker, um, as I I hope that you could deduce. And I started my own company um, in October of last year called Old Pro Productions, where we tell better sex worker stories. And our mission is to change the stories that other people tell about sex workers because we believe that it is by changing the stories that we can really go after the heart of the matter, which which is the stigma. And only then can we change, you know laws uh and and the 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 detrimental and deadly impact that thousands of years of stigma and criminalization um, has brought us to. And, and the more that I study this and the more that I talk about this, the more I feel like the the intersection of sex worker rights, it's it's a it's a key that opens many doors. Mm-hmm. You know, sex understanding whorephobia, I think is the key to understanding misogyny. I think yes. that it has a lot to lend, it uh, has a lot uh to give to um, the way that racism manifests in this country and the hypersexualization and policing of black bodies in this culture. And I think that when you can understand the decriminalization of sex work, you can understand the larger decarceration conversation. I, you know, I think that understanding sex worker advocacy is a clarifying moment for understanding police brutality. And so I, the more I do this work, the bigger this work gets. And it's it's really become an obsession. And so Old Pro Productions, we do, we produce art in all mediums. Uh, we just launched our second annual Old Pro Project where we mm-hmm. seek to fund art 
builds across the country of sex worker advocates and artists who are trying to bring sex worker stories to life in their own community. I have a podcast called the oldest profession podcast where I, I nerd out about this stuff uh, with super the fun. I'm so glad that you enjoy it because, you know, because sometimes because it can feel a lot, I think, like I've cornered you at a party because I feel like that's the energy that I'm really bringing to this topic. It's just like, did you know? And because (laughs) and and, and we work, you know, I I work with Dr. Charlene Fletcher, who is absolutely brilliant. And and we have these 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 big conversations. Um, And now the work has led to not only retelling and and capturing and sort of being um, uh, a conduit for many of these stories into this generation, but also now preserving those stories for the the next generation. And so we're working with Brown University and their archivists um, to archive the podcast and all of the work that we produce with the Oldest Profession podcast. We just produced Margot St. James Memorial, who was a a brilliant and icon in the sex worker rights movement. Um, And you can see all of that and more at Old Pro inc.com where we are very busy telling sex worker stories i love it oh that's wonderful (laughs) absolutely wonderful i mean again my my last couple of episodes being about people who turned to sex work post-pandemic or just sort of fell into it you know none of them were people who thought they were going to be doing it one was like oh yeah i've always wanted to do this and now it's just my opportunity sure but I love yeah, that there's, that's a real thing that happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the necessity, you know, breeds innovation and they're the way they innovated was a hop online, like on OnlyFans and things like that. Yeah. But I think that it is important to increase the conversation and, and to reduce the stigma. We have to recognize that not everybody participating in sex work is, you know, like what Hollywood portrays. Right. On either end of the spectrum. Correct. Right. Like it's not as glamorous. Right. Mm -hmm. But like neither is being a movie star. Right. You know, like it's all it's all work. Right. And also this this sort of like one dimensional caricature of tragedy that has been imposed on us, I think, has more often been used to infantilize adult women than it has been used to save innocent children. Agreed. Agreed. And I want to make an important point that even though those guests did sex work post pandemic or because of the way the world was or just whatever happened in their lives, not everyone that turns to sex work is doing it out of necessity. They're not Mm -hmm. doing it because it's their only option. They're not doing it because they've been victimized or traumatized or there's something wrong with them. It's work just like any other job. And I think what my my hope, you know, like if I if I could if I were setting the syllabus for the United States, right, if I could just Mm -hmm. like set discourse, I would love to see the conversation that we have about the relationship between money and consent Mm -hmm. and coercion applied to more aspects of the economy outside Mm -hmm. of sex work. It's a it's a great conversation that I think we should be having about food and bev workers, about people that work um, in our processing plants, about agricultural laborers, about this this huge underclass of informal gig, like people that are are desperately doing things that are having a, a detrimental impact on their physical and psychological health in order to survive. That is happening everywhere. Yes. It is also happening in sex work. Yes. 
but it is not only happening in sex work. And I feel like sex work has become a symbol into which we pour our anxieties. And I think that what we really need is a real conversation about hating exploitation, not orgasms. Absolutely. Absolutely. That we can have that conversation right now about how how much (laughs) capitalism just makes us sell ourselves quote unquote in so many ways yet the only we had this conversation in the last podcast you mm-hmm. know that that vernacular of you're selling yourself well when you are a sex worker and people label you as selling yourself you're not as you pointed out selling yourself because you still own yourself you still right. own your autonomy is- but but under capitalism i think that that's more of selling yourself than it is under sex work because what autonomy do you really truly maintain under the systems of capitalism I gotta tell you, I feel like I lived this dichotomy because I had sex for money before I had a high school diploma. And then after I graduated college, I worked at Starbucks where one of my jobs was to clean up the human feces in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Whereas like as a sex worker, I never consented to shit play and therefore never encountered any of it during my working days. Like, and, and the gap between what my hourly rate was at those two things would make your head fucking spin. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I think it's important for us to have those conversations because we are very casually asking horrific things of of the service industry mm-hmm. that when we put it in the context of sex work, we're like, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. And I'm like, yeah, actually, it's better when you're making hundreds and not tens of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And you're it's you that's the boss. It's your own thing. It's your at your behest what you mm-hmm. do. There's and no it's, orders or demands. It's all consensual. It can be. Absolutely. Can be, yes. And it's, and, and, and I think always it, be, it should it always, always be. I, I will tell you that I feel like I had more tools with which to navigate and negotiate consent in my, in my professional, uh, in, in paid spaces than I did uh, with what I call rec sex or like recreational sex when I got to college, right? So I had a lot of these experiences really young where I think you're like, you're really questioning things and you're being told stuff that's just like banana pants by adults where you're like, that can't possibly be true. And so dating in college versus being an escort, my clients listened to me. And if they didn't, I blacklisted them. Co-eds felt very comfortable bulldozing past my boundaries in bed because someone had told them that me going to their room was just a blank check for whatever it it was that they wanted to do to me. Mm -hmm. That is not my experience as an escort. And I think that when we flatten, I I think that the conversation that we really need to have in this country is about consent because we have flattened sex that society doesn't want happening with sex that a person doesn't want happening to them. And I think that we need to separate those two things. And so Mm -hmm. like we really need to accept that people can say yes to things that make us uncomfortable in addition to respecting it when people say that they don't want to do things, even if we think those things are super chill, Mm -hmm. that like our intentions don't, matter when it comes to like measuring impact. And I think that like radical bodily autonomy and actually listening to impacted communities um, and impacted people is the is the secret sauce to get us out of all of the problems that we find ourselves in, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, including, you know, exploitation in the sex industry and beyond. 
but if Radical you cannot bodily autonomy, yes. Yeah. Because if you, if you live in a society or you exist in a social space that when a woman or, you know, when any, a person of any gender says, I wanted this, I consented to this, I chose to be a sex worker and you are met with, well, that can't possibly be true. You understand that you are also living in a social space that when that same person says, I said, no, there's room for doubt there too. Yeah. And the fact that like so-called self-declared feminists don't see the relationship between this issue and are spending literally millions of dollars from their donors denigrating and undermining the, the, the lived reality of sex workers is bananas to me. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of feminists out there that uh, I, I don't know, especially after the 2020 election. You know, people who I saw as self-espoused feminists and stuff like that, like you're supporting that person. Right. And I mean, I had several of them too. Like, well, how can you support Biden? Like, okay, I get it. Like, (laughs) there are a lot of men in power that have made mistakes and some are worse than others. And yeah, I don't think that Biden has necessarily been an advocate or an ally of anyone in this profession. That doesn't mean that there isn't room for change. And honestly, though, on the national level, I don't know that that's where we can really see change. Yeah, I don't. I like the last time I paid attention to what Biden's position was on this is when we we graded the candidates um, Mm -hmm. when they were still candidates early in the Democratic primary. Um, And what was thrilling about that is that the the concept of decriminalizing or the idea that we could stop the arrests was a conversation that was happening on the national level. But that is not where the legislative fight is. Prostitution is policed locally. Right. So you're talking about a, a city, a county level. So what that means is that like individual cities and counties can, you know, actually, you know, Seattle uh, recently deprioritized, you know, prostitution. And I think um, I don't want to speak. Seattle did something cool recently. I think we wrote about it in our newsletter and I forget the details. New York, right? The district attorney um, recently publicly stated that his office would no longer be prosecuting misdemeanor prostitution or her uh, massage without a license arrests <laughs> happening in New York, which I like, first of all, I would, I can somebody go back and get me the minutes on the meeting where we criminalized massage without a license? Because I don't, I, I that seems silly. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, I know exactly how it happened, but yeah. First off, you know, for anything, the state wants their cut. They want the licenses and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm sure that obviously that law was just put into place to prevent massage parlors, which I mean, it was, we all know it's the vernacular for go there and have something done that's. Sure. I mean, probably it was actually created to target immigrant owned businesses, which is the way that it's been implemented. Yes. Um, yes, Let's uh, never forget the importance of uh, anti-Asian racism as a part of our nation's history, um, as evidenced by the Chinese Exclusion Act of the 1880s. So Mm -hmm. um, everything we've seen and everything since. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that um, that's a a dragon that never dies. So it's uh, it. Yeah, there's 
having that conversation on a national level, I think is important because I think it's important to change the story and I think it's important to change the culture, but the legislative fights are happening, are happening locally. And I Mm -hmm. think that we're going to see, um, a diversity of tactics. There are legislators that are standing up, uh, standing with sex workers, places like Maine and Vermont, um, New Hampshire have like very loud advocates. Mm -hmm. You also have some activity in, you know, like Oregon and Washington and California. You know, there are sex workers in, Louisiana that got a three-hour hearing in front of legislators. Now, the bill was tabled and and isn't going to move forward, but that is three hours of legislators' time listening to sex workers who, of course, have always been members of, have always been their constituents, right? We've Mm -hmm. always been present, and you can't forget that in a place like New Orleans, Louisiana. I think that's a great place to be having this conversation, and and so I'm really, I feel very optimistic about the, the future of sex workers advocacy in the U.S. I think that a lot of smart people are really starting to pay attention and see the the intersections and that like this isn't a niche is- issue. This is the oldest profession. We mm-hmm. are and have always been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear that you feel that there's some bright spots on the horizon regarding legislation. I, I feel like there, in many regards, the tide has started to turn mm-hmm. since 2020. Uh, I think that we are, a lot of this, I feel centers around that radical bodily autonomy. Yep. You know, the idea of what I do with my body is what I do with my body and what you do with yours is yours. Like I can't give myself the space to Mm -hmm. say what I do is right for me without Mm -hmm. giving you the space to say what is right for you. Absolutely. And so the fact that this, this conversation is heating up as we are seeing reproductive rights stripped Mm -hmm. in this country. I think makes those parallels that much more obvious that mm-hmm. this this is a my body my choice issue this is an economic justice issue this is a reproductive justice issue this is making sure that vulnerable people have the tools that they need need to make uh, good choices for them not imposing moral values on others and I I think that well, at least in, in my circles now, I, I mean, I've been working on my family for like a long time, but <laughs> recently Donald Trump's sort of like cartoonish chauvinism, I think really helped demonstrate the lie behind anti-trafficking laws or other laws that are ostensibly about protecting vulnerable people when often they end up just arresting those vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, oh my God, there were so many things policy-wise that went horribly awry oh, <laughs> between yeah. 2017 and 2021. But um, let me ask, with regarding FOSTA and SESTA, which mm-hmm. is something we discussed on the last episode, do you think that it's going to take state action or is it going to take federal action in order to get like is it going to really just take a supreme court case to get this shit taken care of or what's going to happen with it it's not going to be this court uh yeah that's a great question i mean sesta fosta i don't think can be challenged on the on the state level Mm -hmm. um yeah i think yeah no that's going to take it could be done with an act of congress you know there's the um there's the safe act is again i don't want to get 
I like I feel like I should have written my notes down, but there is a bill that would study the impact of SESTA-FOSTA that I think would be important to like read into the congressional record. I think that's really important to write down what we know. Not that writing down what we know has helped in the last hundred years, but it's still just good to keep a record uh, so that future historians can roll their eyes as hard. Uh, it's important to keep that tradition alive. Um, but but in all seriousness, no, I think that I think that Sesta Fosta, um, it's going to be fought in the courts, and I do not feel optimistic about that. I feel like the the days of freedom of expression on the internet are behind us. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that like we we lived through that period, um, and that you're going to see an an increase in the corporatization of what was once formally public space. I think that's happening on a physical level. And I think it's absolutely happening, you know, on a digital level Mm -hmm. or in in a virtual space. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that we may be entering an era of governance by boards, uh, governance by, you know, sort of corporate actors. Uh, I think that there are some power, power plays coming up between, state governments um, and corporate actors. And I think that there's a real question um, as to who's in power. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, mm-hmm. but, so yeah. that's, you know. Yeah. That's basically the, the, what I thought is that it's just going to take, like say one, a court challenge, which the court as it stands, I don't know. We don't we want this court talking about that. Let's like, no. yeah, it's don't. <laughs> But Stall. also this and this court just took a case challenging. Was it Mississippi's abortion ban? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm waiting, waiting with bated breath on that. I also feel like I've been we lost Roe in 1993 with the Casey versus Planned Parenthood of Pennsylvania case where we changed the the standard from the you know three trimester breakdown to undue burden, which has been wildly interpreted in anti-choice states to the point where millions of women in the United States have not had access to safe and legal abortion for mm-hmm. years now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm of two minds on the Supreme Court, the impending Supreme Court case. On the one hand, I think that it's gonna it's a tragedy whenever uh, you know, the the loss of rights are formalized. And also it's an opportunity to galvanize another generation to fight for this foundational uh, freedom. Mm-hmm. I've got my abortion access for all ACLU poster right here Hell in the background. The yeah, because abortion is healthcare. Mm-hmm. And way too often, we do label this as simply a women's issue. And this is a human rights issue. It's not it's absolutely just- a human rights issue. But it, it's also I think abortion access to legal abortion, uh, or like technical access to legal abortion is not the metric by which I think we we should live and die, right? I think mm-hmm. reproductive justice is a broader issue. And I think that this is something that this generation of advocates can learn that the the last generation, I think, really dropped the ball. I mean, like my body, my choice is incomplete. I think that women who are aborting wanted children because of the pressures of poverty are also experiencing an injustice. You know, I think that we um, we can do better by people with uteruses in this country, mm-hmm. and we should. Absolutely. Absolutely. And something that I saw recently that, I mean, it it clicked, but it also just like, well, duh, is that a lot of the talk around anti-choice stuff is about the fact that 
those legislatures or those people are also thinking about uh, the workforce. They yep. are thinking about the fact that people who are in poverty tend to stay in poverty generationally. Mm -hmm. And if it's poor people that are getting abortions and we won't be able to replace the working class that supports the elites. Right. It's about how slavery has shapeshifted across generations. We didn't abolish it um, either with the Civil War or the Civil Rights Movement. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Between the 13th Amendment and how we just shifted things. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it is nightmares. And I, I think that that is an important conversation to, to ask. You know, I, I've been reading a lot in the, the media has been covering our fertility crisis with vigor that reminds me of the last time they did this uh, three decades ago um, or two decades ago. But um, yeah, I think that we have to ask ourselves the question, like, for whom is this? an emergency. It's not an emergency for the working class. What, you know, any kind of population disruption um, results in, in higher wages, right? Whether you're talking about the Black Plague or world wars, um, or I don't know, the less horrific version of that, which is just people choosing to have fewer children. What could be, right? right. And so, you know, I, yeah, I think that if you are in the top 1%, this is, it's not even an existential crisis. Like, wh who is this really a problem for? Um, is my, and, I, and I read these stories and they're like, there's a neighborhood in Japan that's all people over 70. And I'm like, I don't know, that sounds kind of idyllic and sweet. Like, what, as, oh, there's a school that closed that's being reclaimed by nature. Oh no, nightmares. Uh, there are places in Germany that are being turned into parks. Oh no, sound the alarm. What, why is this? Why are we pretending that this is a problem? Um, and I, I think that women, uh, people with uteruses, uh, this generation should not be bamboozled um, into, 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 I don't know what to say. Like, you know, it's, if you want kids, have kids, but if you don't want kids, then that's great. Yeah. I, I yeah. used to want children, tried to get pregnant, both my marriages, first one, we had a miscarriage, second one, we never got pregnant, but mm -hmm. I mean, that was up until I was 35, mm -hmm. but I was like, oh yeah, I want kids. And at 35, I was like, do I really want kids? Or is this just me following society's expectations? And the idea yeah. of my grand, my parents would make great grandparents. Sure. But that's not enough. Yeah. You know, I and I told my parents serious questions about, was this really what I wanted or is this expectation? Yeah. And I, I think that's something that we could do with less of is the, the expectation that everybody has to do this. I think that there are more people out there that shouldn't be parents than should be, frankly. Mm -hmm. And I think that moving our economy towards, you know, some sustain some sustainability where we're increasing the quality of life for the next generation um, is better than this obviously unsustainable grow, grow, grow to collapse model that we have now. Um, and we can either choose to get off the rocket or we can... I don't know, double down on this women aren't people thing. Like, I don't know. That's what it feels like a lot of people are doing. Mm. That's for sure. It's all about control. Yeah, and I, it has been for a long time. You know, I'm working on my second one woman show, Horse Eye View, uh, which goes up on it. We're doing staged readings um, in June uh, that you can, we have virtual tickets. The, the Silver lining of the pandemic is that you can now see bad theater uh, on your computer before it's ready, if that's something that you want to do. Um, 
But, you know, I, I cover 10,000 years of history from a sex worker's perspective. And it's just amazing when you go back and you like read in black and white, like medieval virginity tests mm. and like what the consequences of failing that were. The, the, the hundreds and hundreds of years we spent demonizing menstruation and female anatomy without bothering to understand how like any of it works like we've been talking mad shit about pussies to have only just recently discovered that the clitoris is the size of your hand and not your thumbnail like that's that feels like a really big oversight for for like what feels like hundreds of years of people obsessed with talking shit about pussy oh my god so i've got my 3d model here of the clitoris There it is. When I tell clients that this wasn't mapped until 2009, 2009, how long have we had MRI technology? And they just now thought in 2009 to see what what our anatomy looked like. I have a doctor. Mm -hmm. She did not know that this was what the full clitoral structure was like. I said, don't feel bad. You were not taught this in medical school because you'd graduated by that time. Yeah, right. Which is, look, look. We spent a thousand years telling dudes that what they should really do on their wedding night is make their new brides bleed and then spent the same amount of time complaining about how physically impossible it is for women to come and our orgasms even real. Like, right, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, and we've, we've really, we've associated, we've magically somehow signs of maturity and arousal, right? with sloppy sluttiness Mm -hmm. right like i i had a joke i was doing a joke back when people were doing performances where it's like donald trump looks like the kind of dude that if he ever accidentally made a woman wet he'd be like ew slimy and i feel like that was medical school for a long time you Mm -hmm. know was like what do we do with these leaky sinful creatures totally totally yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh, oh my God. It's still like fighting. Even like I see it on TikTok and other mm-hmm. platforms. Like there are people who post videos of clean underwear and say like disparaging comments about women whose underwear is not clean at the end of the day. Like, excuse me. No, I'm sorry. Medically, that's actually not, not clean. I was like, yeah. And like to say that it's clean versus dirty is absolutely ridiculous. Like our vaginas are self-cleaning. That means they expel things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like I just oh there's so now, if you much if, when you take your underwear off and throw it up against a wall if it doesn't stick you're not an adult that's my position <laughs> that's I'm gonna that's the hill I'm gonna die on I love it I'm sorry you no. know can I I was thinking about this recently remember the movie your gross on- sorry get your gross pre-tween twats out of my face I'm sorry that's I'm sorry. <laughs> remember that movie uh, was it um unfaithful with Diane Lane and Richard Gere I feel like I remember Richard Gere. Wait, early two thousands. She like she spread she her legs. Affair. Was that no? Or was that, that was some other. That was like dangerous. Are we thinking Basic Instinct? That's that. Not, that's it. Basic Instinct. Yeah, with Sharon Stone, where she spreads her legs and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this one is Diane Lane's married to Richard Gere. They got like an okay marriage, but she meets this hot French guy and then like has an affair. Mm-hmm. But like I see it in my early two thousands. You know, I'm not really into my body I don't know the things and there was this scene where she's on the train riding home after she's first slept with this guy Mm -hmm. and she's like recounting what happened and her mind just kind of like giggling to herself and then she went to the bathroom and they show her 
on the train, like cleaning out her underwear. And I'm like, why did she do that? Because I had right. been conditioned that I didn't need to explore my body. I didn't need right. to understand. I'd had sex by that point. Oh yeah. No, it's amazing. the disconnect. But I didn't understand anything about like, what is she? Oh, oh, she got horny and she got wet and now she's got a mess in her panties. So she's got to clean up before her husband sees it. Yep. Yeah, because there's if there's anything you don't want to explain to your husband, it's why you're wet. That's the worst thing that could happen right? in marriage. Sorry, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> or why your underwear is dirty. Like, oh, well, maybe I just got turned on during the day. And uh, that, yeah. but, but you know, that time and perspective of understanding now, I'm like, okay, there are so many things that are problematic there's, about there, that. Oh yeah. All the, things. the 90s, the 90s and the 2000s, like I mean, this might be true of all rom-coms for all of human history, but like those were the, that, those were the two decades that I was tuned in and it's like, it's bananas. And as an adult person, like, I want to go back and be like for the Titanic, right. Of like, don't, you know, the dude that you fuck on vacation is not your life partner. Even <laughs> if he survives, don't marry that guy. Right. Like, you know, and if you don't marry that guy, like, you don't pine for all, you don't carry pieces of your old lovers around with you. That's, I mean, and if you do, like you should, you should talk to somebody about that. Like that's yes. not, that's not super healthy. Like it's just, there are a lot of weird foundational ideas that I think could have used a little bit more unpacking in my developing mind. Well, most the of, the all of society were... was like, yes, this is what romance looks like. I think was, uh, I don't know, group gaslighting on that front. Well, and let's be real, that movie was probably written by a man, right? James yeah, Cameron. Like James Cameron, right, who is only good at most of movie making, but not script writing. Can't do it. No, and he does not write a good love story, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, come on, Sarah, Con Sarah and John Connor in The Terminator, terrible love story. Once again, you fuck once and you pine after them the rest of your life. I know, and don't even get me started on like, like Rocky is just straight up, rape porn and they're like this is how a relationship starts you just bully someone smaller than you into fucking you and then they belong to you and that's how that's uh that's relationships oh, good luck out there kid yeah. yeah yeah i the trope of i fucked you once in my semen and my uh skill was good enough that you're gonna want it forever yeah that almost never happens Ugh. right no <laughs> Great. Uh, so let's take a break real quick. When we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit going back to what we had originally started the conversation about with like decriminalization versus mm -hmm. not prosecuting. And, and again, what are some yep. of the things that we as listeners can do to help this movement? Absolutely. Perfect. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute. So stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. We are back. I'm back with Caitlin Bailey from the old pro project amongst other works that she's doing. And this conversation has been fantastic, but I do want to circle back to again, some of the things that I think listeners need to understand when it comes legislatively to what's going on around sex work. And I think that there were some things that we talked about earlier that mm -hmm. just want to clarify. So New York, yeah. for example, yeah. what is it that they really did recently? 
New York, I mean, New York is amazing uh, because sex worker advocates are, are really having an impact and legislators are starting to listen to sex workers and the results are incredible. So recently, Governor Cuomo signed into law um, the walking while trans ban that, you know, which will will end the obviously unconstitutional practice of arresting people for the thought crime of loitering for the purposes of prostitution. And like, what does that mean? Well, mm -hmm. historically, it mm -hmm. means walking while trans uh, or making the wrong kind of eye contact with a police officer. Right. It's mm -hmm. like really it's been a war on marginalized women, um, especially trans women for for decades now. And so we've put an end to that practice thanks to the tireless efforts of but, you know, this this really was a movement that was led by black trans people. Mm -hmm. And I think I mean, something that maybe the listeners need to have spelled out for them about mm -hmm. why this walking wild trans ban was so harsh and weird. It, I think, was based in the assumption that if you are trans, you are mm -hmm. a sex worker. Yes. Yeah. This this comes from a, a there's a long history of criminalizing uh, women and marginalized people in public spaces. You know, this is how queer folks were often arrested. Loitering laws have a long history of being used to expel marginalized people from public spaces. Mm -hmm including and especially women. Um, you know, after World War One, something called the American Plan crim literally criminalized uh, women walking or eating uh, alone in public spaces. And after the passage of SESTA-FOSTA back in 2018, there was actually a restaurant on the Upper East Side that stopped serving women alone at the bar because they didn't want whores in their restaurant. So if you were an adult woman and you, you went in, you and you sat at the bar, you would not be served unless you sat at a table. Um, and that's inherently and, misogynistic because assuming yes. that a single woman is a whore or a prostitute right. or a sex worker, but not a single man. Right. Yeah. That's and, some bullshit. <laughs> and I think that like, this is, this is true times a thousand when talking about trans women, you know, mm -hmm. trans women are, you know, have been historically overrepresented in sex work because of employment discrimination. Mm -hmm. They are more visible, right. Participating in, you know, street-based work um, or, you know, like more visible forms of sex work. And so, it, you know, racist, sexist cops, right. Have been uh, targeting this population, right. Compounding those assumptions because you know, what's true um, about what happens to you after you get arrested uh, for prostitution, super hard for you to get any other kind of job. So that it, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like they, they made the lie true with this violence and, and, mm -hmm. you know, cops have been targeting all kinds of women, but especially poor women, especially, you know, black women, immigrant populations. This is just a blank check for any cop to stop any, you know, femme presenting person and, call them a whore. And, and so it, I think that this, you know, Cuomo signing this into law was only made possible after uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, after sort of a summer of reckoning with uh, police brutality and the realities of what it looks like to police a community. And we had to let go of this lie that we were helping people. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, folks really, you know, thought that like, I don't know, the movie Taken with Liam Neeson was a documentary or something and believed that, you know, police officers who are arresting people engaged in this work were offering them services. And we know from experience that we, they were only offering them handcuffs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So yeah, so that happened, uh, which was really exciting and is going to have an immediate impact on sex workers. And then another interesting development um, that's a little bit more complicated is that that Cy Vance, who is the district attorney or the lead prosecutor for Manhattan, Mm -hmm. publicly stated that his office would no longer be prosecuting prostitution arrests or, um, and I think that this is funny, uh, the horrible crime, the scourge of the earth, which is practicing massage without a license. So, uh, you know, that's that's fun. But I think it's really important for your listeners to understand that there's a really big difference between not prosecuting someone and not arresting them. Mm-hmm. Sex workers are still being arrested all over New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, businesses are still being raided. Undercover stings are still being funded and executed. And the, you know, Cy Vance's office is, is doing a sneaky thing where they're trying to to impose the Nordic model or end demand mm-hmm. sneakily by de, by deprioritizing prosecuting the provider, mm-hmm. but keeping the focus on clients um, oh, or third buyer. parties. Mm, okay. Right. And so, okay. so that's the Nordic model is to eliminate the, sex work. They try to go after the, the client, the buyers, the client. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want to, they want to end demand, which um, is interesting. Rather than end thing. supply. Right. Which you, which you could do by eliminating poverty, right? If you don't want people doing things for money, then just give people money. It's really that simple. Yeah, but like, universal basic income might actually solve that. Yeah, that like, yeah, that's well, it's gonna have way more of an impact than I don't know, arresting uh, the Robert Crafts of the world. Yeah. So so anyway, the I think it's important to realize that we have made progress in New York, but the fight is not over. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the last thing that we want to do is declare victory uh, and go home. Sex, uh, sex work has not been decriminalized in Manhattan, but sex workers are being heard yeah. uh, by their representatives in New York. And that is not a small thing. Yeah. So you mentioned the Nordic approach. Are, are there any cultures, societies, countries, whatever, that are doing this well, that, that do embrace sex work or... I are we just new- sort of like on the frontier trying to change things? Oh, no, no, no. I, uh, new Zealand has decriminalized prostitution since 2003, and they did that okay. with the Prostitute Reform Act, which was a sex worker-led um, coalitions of actually a lot of different kinds of stakeholders, including public health officials and religious leaders and community leaders, putting their heads together to say, how can we best support sex workers? And, you know, lo and behold, when the experts got together, they all decided that stopping the arrests would be like hugely helpful. So um, in New that. Zealand, the there's a there's a real difference between the relationship that sex workers have to police officers. They report crimes committed against them. Um, there's one incredible story that I think demonstrates, you know, what's possible with a real paradigm shift, which is that, um, you know, a young woman was working as an escort in New Zealand, as was her right to do. Um, She saw a client who refused to pay for the service afterwards. She called uh, the PRA, which acts as a, you know, sex worker advocacy group. They called uh, the police. The police called him and said, look, sir, do you want to pay this young woman or would you like us to come and arrest you? Those are your options. That's that's the future we're fighting for, right? Hell, That's what protecting yeah. and serving a community looks like is a police officer backing up a woman's clearly stated uh, boundaries. Mm-hmm. And she performed a service. If you're th- talking mm-hmm. about from a business standpoint, he paid for a service, which she performed. You can't just yep. not pay for the service you get. Doesn't matter right. if it's a blow job or a tune up to your car. 
Absolutely. So yeah, I think New Zealand um, is really leading by example. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of really persuasively positive peer reviewed, uh, you know, evidence and studies to coming out of that country, which is great. New South Wales and, and places in Australia are also experimenting with that model. It's more complicated in a lot of places in the world where you know, there there are some places where prostitution is not technically criminalized, but for example, pornography, homosexuality, and sex toys are. So, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of criminalizing the work around prostitution. Canada is an example of this, where they've really shifted um, towards the Nordic model um, and have, you know, really cracking down on the the places that sex workers work and gather um, and keep each other safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in addition, of course, Norway, Sweden, places like that have implemented, the, like Operation, Operation Homeless is, I think, an example of the, the dark side of this of this legislation, mm-hmm. which is it's not illegal to sell sex in Sweden, but it is illegal to rent an apartment to a sex worker in Sweden. And so what happens is that police officers will hunt sex workers in the way that they always have. It's just that instead of arresting that sex worker, they just let their landlord know that they're in violation of the law. And then that person becomes homeless. Mm. So Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not an improvement, actually. No, no, yeah. it's not. Because mm-hmm. obviously I fall on the side of if you are an adult, you get to do what you want, how you want it. Like nobody should be telling you what you can and cannot do with your body as long as like you're not hurting somebody else. And this whole thing of like hurting other people with prostitution that people think, oh, well, it destroys families. And then, you know, people end up with all these diseases and like, it's all just such a fallacy. It's all bullshit. And I don't, I myself don't really know where to start, you know, on, Mm -hmm. you say, we need to start with our state legislatures. We need to start with our municipalities. Sure. So how do you recommend if there's someone like myself or a listener who's wanting to get more active, how how do you recommend we get started? Absolutely. I think that the, you know, the most important thing to remember is that, you know, prostitution is a local issue. So talking to your local elected officials and letting them know that you stand with sex workers and that you support sex worker rights um, is a really great step. If you're somebody that talks to your legislator, Um, Mm -hmm. I will also say that, you know, getting resources into the hands of your local sex worker advocates is also another great step because what legislators really need to be hearing from are sex workers themselves and impacted members of the community. And that's exactly what we try to do with the Old Pro Project. So last year, uh, the Old Pro Project funded art builds in five cities across the country. Mm -hmm. um, And we looked at cities that already had legislative action, like places like Seattle and New York and New Orleans. um, And we got money into the hands of activists and artists to try to bring out sex worker stories in their own community, right? Mm -hmm. So funding kind of a public art and a public education campaign. And this year, we're hoping to expand that program to 10 cities. I love that. You can learn more at oldproproject.com. Well, speaking of, I mean, we've we've talked about a lot of stuff, mostly, again, focused around 
you know, sex worker day, also known as international whore day. We're taking Which is back, just right? fun to say. It is fun to say. It's I my mean, favorite text thread of the year is just rich, <laughs> rich uh, wishing people happy international whores day. Like all the random, like happy Thanksgiving texts that I get from numbers I don't recognize, like back at you. Happy <laughs> international whores day. I am a contrarian by nature. Uh, <laughs> well, and maybe I, yes, I know that it is often the negative word for a lot of people, but I think it's sort of like the word queer or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're just taking it back. We're taking back the power out of it from other people who want to use it as a slur against us. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, by definition, I, I, will, I guess I'm a whore. So let's embrace it. And like, I, I will tell you this, that whore is a very old word and yes. it is actually older than the stigma against it. And it comes from even older words that mean uh, one who desires or woman who knows. And so mm-hmm. I am very much on team uh, reclaim. And I think that the idea that uh, whore is a pejorative is some internalized whorephobia, frankly. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm a whore, 100%. There you go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> So, Caitlin, how do people get a hold of you? How do they oh, support man. the old pro project? I mean, the best thing to do is to to visit visit the website. You know, you can check out the oldestprofessionpodcast.com, um, oldproproject.com. You can find all of it um, at Old Pro Inc. And on any one of those websites, you can sign up for our email list and be in the know like an old pro. We send out a news roundup every Friday with all of the highlights of what's going on with sex worker rights uh, nationally, in addition to what's going on um, at Old Pros and with me as an artist, since I'm going to start touring soon, which is pretty exciting. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love it if you can come to Kansas City. We are definitely going to try to do that. It's one of the bigger cities in Kansas. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Although I am on the Missouri side. It is a big right, city. That's right. It's PCK Missouri. No, it is one no, of the bigger it, ones in Kansas. No, Kansas, Kansas City is, is actually is on my list. I I, re- I want to check it out. I I'm, I know that it has like a great jazz scene and a fun mm-hmm. music scene. And like I I would love the opportunity to bring Horror's Eye View to Kansas City. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we do have a very diverse city. I actually live in the most diverse zip code in the city. Um, you know, my building is half people of color. It's mostly women. Sweet. Uh, my neighborhood, like it's a really great vibe here, but there's so many parts of the city that are very, very homogenous and yeah. they are not, they are not thinking about these kinds of issues yep. with the neighborhood. I live in the places I drive by. I am thinking about these things and I'm not looking at any of those people going like, gosh, that, that poor woman, what, what do we need to do to get her off the street? I'm going like, well, I hope, I hope she's safe. I hope she's in control. I hope that, you know, she doesn't get caught. Yep. Hardcore. I mean, I will, I'll tell you, you know, maybe, you know, we're, we, we are accepting um, open applications now for the old pro project. So mm-hmm. if somebody would like to apply from Kansas city, and if somebody would like to fund Kansas city, we can make both of those things happen and we can get uh, sex workers work up on a billboard near you. Hmm. I'm going to reach yeah. out to some folks for you. On All that right. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. That's... I think there's some not-for-profits here in town mm-hmm. that actually would totally like Kansas City Anti-Violence Project would probably be right on, on board with that. Uh, they do a lot of stuff for trans youth. They understand the connection for a lot of queer people and sex work. And it's not just queer people. I mean, it's just, it's a human issue. This is yeah. not just a woman issue. This is not just a people of color issue. It's like, we've got to figure this shit out. And the way we've been doing it really sucks. Yep. So I hope that everyone listening today 
feels like activated and is ready to do some stuff, like reach out to me, reach out to Caitlin. If you like have some ideas or you want to get more active, we'll, we'll help hook you up with some resources or some people that, that can get you going. Yeah, absolutely. There's a sex worker rights organization near you that could really use your support. And if we stand together, we can really change things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that hopefully 2020 showed us that when people are actually activated and not just sitting behind their screens and tweeting out how disappointed they are in something or what a tragedy something is, when they actually get activated, when they actually call Mm -hmm. their state representatives and legislators, call your mayor's office, I text my mayor. I yeah. tweet at him. I awesome. I constantly send him messages. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be like, I'm on a first name basis with the mayor, but I am on a first name basis with the mayor. So, well, that, I mean, yeah, this, and I, I will tell you that I've, I've spoken to legislators all over the country and all of them are with us on the, or not, I'm sorry, not all of them. That's definitely not true. But like, there are a lot of elected officials out there that get it, that want to support sex workers, that are terrified that their constituents won't support them. So the more that they can hear from regular folks, right? Homeowners, business owners, members of the PTA, that they support sex worker rights, the the better, the more effective sex workers are going to be talking to their elected officials about why our issues matter. Absolutely. 100% agree. Well, again, Caitlin, thank you so much for being back on my show. It was a pleasure to host you on Keep Them Coming, as always. Kristen, thank you so much. This was uh, a joy and a privilege. Wonderful. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, dear. Right back at you. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.